This is Fuse FM, Manchester's student radio. morning and welcome to Elementary on Fuse FM. Today in the studio we've got me, Fergus, I'm back. I'm Karis. I'm Joe. And I'm Alice. Yay, we've got a special guest in today. We've got Alice. I just clapped, which you're My not supposed to working. do. Yeah, oh, I think right. so. Yeah, yeah. I can't even hear. So. I can hear you. All right. So I'll assume that everyone at home can as well. And we've got Alice in the studio with us today. Yay. So that's exciting. Someone <laughs> else from our psych on course. We're just, we're just rotating through everyone. It's wonderful. So today's element is carbon. So carbon is interesting because it's known as the building block of life. Its atomic number is six and it's been known about for a long time. So this is because Egyptians used to use charcoal, which is a form of carbon. But it was officially named as an element by Antoine Lavoisier in 1789. It's one of the most important elements on the periodic table. And this is because of its ability to form four bonds, um, which is called tetravalent. And that's what makes it such uh, so good for life because it can form many different compounds. Not only that, but carbon atoms themselves can bond to each other in different ways, like graphite or diamond, and we'll talk more about that later. It's the fourth most abundant element in the universe, and the second most in the human body. And because of the number of the different compounds that can, and well, theoretically can, and do exist from carbon, it's sometimes known as the king of elements. Amazing. So carbon is essential for all life, all life that we know the about. The duct tape of life. Yes. Is carbon-based. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you're carbon-based if you're listening in at home, and so's your dog and everything else. Lovely. And whatever you're listening on is carbon as well. Everything releases carbon, right? Device. Well, everything living... Well, yeah, but I mean, like, devices, you know, technology. Oh, they cause carbon to be released into the atmosphere. Yes, through electricity um, production, which we'll come on to talking about later. So we're going to talk a bit more about carbon and how it exists in our environment. So the amount of carbon on Earth, like most elements, is pretty consistent, but that doesn't mean it's always in the same place or the same form. Instead, it moves through a cycle, the carbon cycle, from one place to the next. So let's imagine an animal a dinosaur let's take a triceratops is one of you want to name it fergus oh uh trixie the triceratops isn't that just from i feel like Trix- that's yeah. I like you've got that from somewhere uh, from toy story <laughs> Wait, yeah toy story yeah uh, okay, okay um, yeah you can't name it trixie, trixie rex um and we're not them work <laughs> terence 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 the oh. it did not have to be alliteration but i appreciate it the effort. <laughs> okay so Terence is made mostly of carbon, other things too, but he's a big source of carbon and carbon's just generally a source in all plants and animals. Um, it releases some of this carbon when it breathes, like uh, so during respiration, obviously oxygen's taken in and carbon dioxide's produced and that leaves into the atmosphere. This carbon dioxide will either be left in the atmosphere, absorbed by the ocean, or plants can take it in for photosynthesis. So plants absorb a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The animal can reabsorb carbon as well through its food. Um, triceratops are herbivores, so I they eat plants. So. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think so they'll eat the plants that have carbon in them. Um, when the animal dies is when this carbon store gets released. So poor Terence just had a good life, lived it, he died. Rip. Yeah. <laughs> um So the carbon that was stored in its body will either be consumed by bacteria for energy or 
if this doesn't happen, the body decays and eventually the carbon in it becomes coal or petrol, which is what we use nowadays. So essentially when you're whatever driving here or whatever, you're burning poor Terence. Oh no. Poor <laughs> <laughs> That's a way of looking at it. Next time you catch the one four two, just remember. Yeah. <laughs> Terence the Triceratops. Yeah. So the carbon cycle can be looked at on this tiny scale and this is helpful because it can show us the impact that every single living thing does have on it but it's incredibly complex and it involves a lot of factors so it's um, the ocean itself has its own carbon cycle and it's a whole thing. It's also incredibly important and this is because of carbon's role in the regulation of temperature of the planet as I'm sure you know. Carbon dioxide is what is known as a greenhouse gas and while you may have heard of this a lot of people don't know what it actually means. And it is that it absorbs and emits energy within a thermal infrared range. Oh, what does infrared mean, Karis? <laughs> yes, I was hoping for your help on this one, Fergus. <laughs> it's a type of, it's a like energy thing. It's yeah, like so electromagnetic you have spectrum. Electromagnetic waves, and the ones you'll be most familiar with are visible light, which is what we see through. And if you go to a slightly longer wavelength, so you stretch the wave out slightly, then on that side of the spectrum, you've got infrared rays. Um, so it's all just part of the same spectrum, but depending on how long the wavelength is, it's it's the form of radiation it is. So you have radio waves at one end, which are the really long waves, and then you go into microwaves, infrared, and then visible light, which we can see, and then ultraviolet, and then it, it carries on going with the waves getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, Big shout out to radio waves as well, since, you know... <laughs> greenhouse... Since we're using yeah, them, yeah. it's good. <laughs> Uh, so greenhouse gases, they might have a bad reputation because of their association with climate change, but without them, Earth's average temperature would be minus 18 degrees Celsius, whereas now it's 15. So we couldn't live on it, basically. So this cycle exists in a balance between what are called sources and sinks, and sinks is where carbon dioxide from the atmosphere is absorbed, and this includes areas like the Amazon rainforest, which absorbs 2 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide a year, which is a lot. And this is a big reason why deforestation is so bad because they're called like the lungs of the earth. They we need them basically because they help regulate the temperature of the earth without getting too hot or too cold. Sources can be natural, so volcanoes is a good example of a natural source of carbon dioxide, but they can also be man-made, such as factories or cars. And obviously, this raises a lot of issues, which Joe's going to talk more about now. Yeah, so Joe's going to tell us about how. Humans. humans are ruining everything as <laughs> usual i think we might have one more song before we get yeah, i was on gonna to say that, that. yeah, yeah. So, there's quite a lot i need to talk about so. life on earth that we've that we've discovered is carbon based but i wonder if aliens existed whether they'd well carbon they probably based. would be i carbon hate based the assumption well. that aliens are going to be carbon based mm. who knows hello welcome back to elementary so this it's 20 past nine and i'm going to talk about how humans are messing up their natural order through the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, so quite a, a low point again, usually, what I usually talk about. So, <laughs> um, yeah, because of us, the carbon cycle's changing, so humans are moving more carbon into the atmosphere than ever before because of how basically how we live today. We burn tons of fossil fuels, coals and oil, each year that releases carbon into the atmosphere every second. And I'm, I'm sure you all know we'd burn forests down all the time, releasing all the locked-up carbon inside of these trees into the atmosphere. Um, right, obviously, the Amazon rainforest everyone's heard of that um and most of the carbon is in the form of co2 that causes heat to be retained in the atmosphere our increasing global consumption of greenhouse gases over the last 50 years has meant that the earth is becoming warmer 
once carbon is in the atmosphere, it stays there for many centuries. So there's debate as to whether if we even reduced our carbon release, whether it actually have an impact and whether the Earth would just continue to warm anyway. So I mean, I understand where people are coming from yeah. there, but surely if we know that adding more carbon tends to make things warmer, then... Yeah, but like the, so the effects from 50 years or whatever are still happening. Yes, even today. if we stopped emitting all carbon dioxide yeah. now beyond just breathing. Ages. But the, the argument's usually like, oh, well, I'm not going to be around then. So like that, that's the usual it's argument. It's a really bad way yeah, of thinking. Who cares about yeah. the next yeah, generation? Know, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's, the that's the debate going on here. But yeah. Um, however, it's important to note that based, the carbon cycle has changed throughout billions of years, even before humans were around. It was naturally changing anyway. So uh, pre- prehistoric changes happened for different reasons. So the amount of carbon dioxide in Earth's atmosphere increased at the times in the past, like during the Devonian, Devonian period, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Devonian period, um, because of volcanic eruptions. So they release more lava and ash and send gases like CO two into the atmosphere. Today, the amount of volcanic eruptions is very small compared to other times in the past. Yet the concentration of CO two is quite high because people are obviously burning the forest and fossil fuels. That's another argument from climate skeptics that I find really ridiculous is, oh, well, millions of years ago, the yeah. carbon dioxide yeah, levels so all, used to be really, It always really changes high. anyway, but... Yeah, but we weren't yeah. here then. It's more like it's changing more now. That's what I'd yes. say. And it's changing because of us. Yeah. Also, yeah. the speed of change is much yeah, faster. Must, yeah. Yeah. Um, so before the Industrial Revolution, the CO2 content in the air remained quite steady for thousands of years. Then other big breakthroughs and inventions occurring mainly during the 20th century. So you've got like commercial air travel, cars, phones, internet, technology in general. They've all like sent amount of CO2 being released into the atmosphere west. So they've just, just gone completely, <laughs> it's just gone completely crazy. Uh, literally almost everything we use produces excessive CO2 and the way we live and function in society today makes it so that we uh, it's going to be quite difficult for us to you know make a massive impact but but we, we can try still try still so, try you know plant more trees uh there are ways to reduce this excessive carbon release yes and everyone has heard about global warming and probably have an idea of how they can improve their carbon footprint but it's i just find it interesting that we release carbon in everything we do uh, it's like for example simply sending an email can affect the environment we live in uh french en- energy regulators are now asking companies to cut back on emails to save energy the average spam email uh, is equivalent to 0.3 grams of CO2 emissions, and a normal email ha- has a footprint of 4 grams of CO2, which accounts for the power data centers and computers sending, filtering, and reading messages. So all those spam emails that you get, you know, in all those accounts that you just ignore. That's a crazy thought that just That's... sending emails is like contributing to kind of like yeah. global warming. So yeah. the reason for that is the way that we get our electricity, yeah. right? Most yeah. of our electricity comes from burning these fossil fuels, which releases the carbon dioxide. Yeah. If we had clean sources of energy, then so it wouldn't, it wouldn't wind, um, other, you know, solar, tidal, or even nuclear. I mean, nuclear has its own problems, or maybe it doesn't come back in two weeks and find out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but again, you don't need to release carbon dioxide with those. So there are other forms of energy that we could utilise, and if we did utilise all of those, then there yeah. wouldn't be all this carbon But it's whether they will, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. at the moment, all these spam emails, like I said, get you getting them up to all these accounts that you've probably forgotten the passwords to and everything like that, and it's all like, you don't even think about it, no. but it's adding up like every single day. So, for example, an hour of streaming video as well, like Netflix itself said in 2014 that the average customer has an average footprint of 300 grams per year. 
Uh, and that's just that's not factoring the power consumed from the devices. That's just literally street, the service itself. Streaming service. Uh, and the average mobile phone produces as much carbon in the atmosphere per year as a typical family fridge as well. I don't if know you... if I'm surprised by that or not. I don't I, think I'm think... like in a, a phone. It does a lot of stuff. Yeah. When the fridge just pulls stuff down. Every... Mm-hmm. But it's I suppose like the fridge is always on as well. as well. Yeah, the fridge is always on. So it's just... I don't know. It's just trying to put it into perspective and trying to so you can visualize it a bit better. Yeah, definitely. That, you know, a small phone can be as much as a massive fridge. Uh, uh, but I don't know if anyone saw the report in the Guardian too. So there's 20 firms behind a third of all carbon emissions released into the atmosphere. This was um, produced. This this was released this year, I think. Uh, so these are like BP, Shell, you know, all these Huge oil companies. companies and stuff like that. So. It's so even if we were hundred percent efficient, if every you know individuals were hundred percent efficient with their carbon release, which that's going to be quite difficult to do, you'd still get thirty three percent coming from those twenty companies. We need the big companies to be on board. Yeah, but, yeah. Mm. but whether yeah. they will, because it's you know it's part of their you know BP Shell. That's, that's what they do. It's like mm. it's integral to their what I don't know. Fergus, do you want to chip in? Or, no, no. It's yeah. It's it's big scary. corporations. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so ultimately, I was just saying. I think the the end point is we need to change the narrative and sort of we need to get companies who are still getting away with it and who are left to believe that we need to try and get them to get involved r- rather than you know at the moment it's focused on what we can do and mm-hmm. yeah we can help but we need these big companies producing thirty three percent of emissions or whatnot to actually make a big difference. Um, so like I said, uh, carbon emissions are literally as a result of everything. So us going. Like us going live right, us being alive right now, is causing carbon to be released into the atmosphere. You <laughs> yeah. don't even think about it, but it is us having the lights Everything on right is, now, yeah. us being on our phones right now. So yeah, um, but that's just how we function as a society. So well, certainly in this country, I think that's the thing is that there are huge disparities between sort of the 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 Western world and our levels of consumption yeah. and energy use compared to a lot of other yeah areas yeah. Yeah. of the world. Yeah, so it is worth that. Yeah, I absolutely agree that in order for step change and for change at the levels that we need then everyone government big companies definitely need yeah. to get involved but a shift in a way of thinking on an individual level i think can that also help. yeah well, you've yeah. got like you've got greta and, funberg and stuff like that doing all this like getting everyone motivated and which is good it's really good like and you've got like the plant more trees initiative which is going on right now we can donate to i think elon musk donated a I want to say you donated a million dollars or something to this cause that's going on and just to plant more trees. So it's like that collective force and like, especially with the internet as well, as well now, mm-hmm. it makes it much more accessible to get everyone involved. Even as it's causing even more carbon to be released yeah. into the atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. So there sword. we go. We might have double-edged depressed sword. you a little bit, but hopefully kind of inspired. There is a lot of things that we can do. Hello and welcome back to Elementary on Fuse FM. It's just after half nine and now we're going to go talk to Alice a bit about what she's done. Yeah, so Alice, before you started the SciComm course with us, you had a job for a while in a zoo, which I think is really, really cool. So first things first, tell us a bit about what you did. Yeah, I never kind of pictured that I'd work in a zoo. I did zoology as a degree and kind of swore that I would never probably work in a zoo but then that's, here we go. That, that's what people say like they oh do. like what are you going to do if you do like do zoology and then you're like you're going to be a zookeeper <laughs> like, yeah exactly what? and i would always be like you don't need a degree yeah. to work in yeah. a zoo kind yeah. of thing and anyway i worked in a zoo but i worked in the kind of education outreach part of it 
which was really, really fun. Um, and I got kind of a lot of experience working with some really cool animals and talking to people, which is what I like to do, talking to people about what I'm interested in. What was your favourite animal to work with? Um, so I worked in two zoos. So down in Suffolk, my favourite animal was the giraffe. They were, they were my favourite. I kind of felt like I had pet giraffe because when I shouted them over, they would come, which like... That's pretty oh, cool. That's, pretty that's cool. amazing. Yeah. Not the fact that I had a bucket full of food, but the fact <laughs> that they, they knew me. Um, and then in, I worked in Wellington Zoo in New Zealand, which was a really good experience. And the red pandas were 100% my favourite there. They are the cutest things ever. Red pandas are pretty adorable. So how how did the work that you do kind of link to the ideas of biodiversity and what we've been talking about so far on the show? So like my role, I guess, was to talk to the public about um, why they should be kind of interested in conservation and the environment and kind of the species that are within it Um, and kind of making them realise that they're seeing a tiger in a zoo, for instance, and what that means for the tigers out in the wild. So um, at Wellington Zoo, we had Sumatran tigers. There's only about less than 300 of them in the wild. So if you can really like imagine that 300 tigers in the whole world kind of thing, Sumatran tigers. Um, and it's kind of them seeing them in the zoo and going, okay, how can we protect them in the wild? And kind of every time we do like a talk. So if you wandered around the zoo, you have feeding talks, you have daily talks on different animals. That's where I'd be stood doing a 10 minute talk on the animal. And we always relate it back to kind of a conservation message of like how people can kind of help animals like the tigers um, kind of at home. Even though they're so far removed from like where they live out in the wild, it's kind of we can do little things to try and help the environment, even from like the comfort of our own home. This seems to be. Oh, go on. I was say, there's a there's a big debate on like you know with animals in zoos. So that was about concern, like um, protecting the species. Like, what's your view on like I guess having a zoo with animals that aren't needed, they don't need to have protection or they're not endangered. I think zoos are becoming more and more about animals that do need help kind of thing. Um, But then you can't get rid, like, what do you do with the animals that are already in zoos kind of thing? Because you can't just chuck them back in the wild. wild. Exactly. So, like, but um, I know from the zoos that I've worked in, they are more kind of going into animals that are that need extra help kind yeah, of thing yeah. and actually like some zoos are really important to have that kind of population that's protected in zoos because out in the wild they're doing really really badly kind of thing and yeah. um, having that kind of it's that kind of safety net of if they do go extinct in the wild then at least we still they still exist in the world like yes it is in a zoo form but they're still they're still here. i think zoos are getting better as well like they seem to be more and more like almost imitating what their actual environment would be like isn't it yeah like well the zoos i've worked in like i would say are really good zoos and they do a lot of work to that and you kind of sometimes you can't see the animals and it's kind of just and people go oh where's the tiger and i'm like well the reason why you can't see the tiger is because we want to give them big enough space and give them the choice to be able to kind of go inside and outside and unfortunately sometimes that means that they're not a where you can see them kind of thing a big part of our job is making people realise that that gives the animal choice, which is what we want to give them and not kind of make them like a kind of showpiece where showpiece where they're kind of in a tiny cage in front of us just for us to see kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. And actually like zoos um, spend a lot of money on conservation kind of in, um, in their country. So Wellington spend a lot of time doing conservation in their country, putting money into that conservation, but then also putting money back into the wild to try and keep them in the wild, which is the key part of it. And then trying to discuss how people can help to keep them in the wild. So going back to this idea of conservation and what 
we as individuals can do to help what's one example of a message that you might have given people when you're delivering those animal talks um so a big favorite um of mine is talking about fsc so has anyone heard of fsc before yes yeah um, so it stands for the Forest Stewardship Council, which you might see on quite a lot of paper products now. Um, it's a little tree with a little tick, and it says FSC. I think, I've seen, I think yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, you will yeah. have seen it. It's quite. It's becoming more and more common, which is great. Um, but basically, any kind of wood and paper products that you might buy, you want to be looking for that little symbol, and that basically means any wood or paper products that you buy come from a sustainable source. So trees planted by humans for humans. We're not taking away any trees from like the rainforest or anything like that. Um, that is taken away not only like the animals habitats kind of thing their homes but also what we were talking about earlier deforestation is it plays a massive part in kind of carbon emissions because trees and plants are fundamental in taking that co2 from the atmosphere so not only are kind of protecting the uh, homes for so much biodiversity it's also kind of helping to keep a really healthy um, environment um, for the planet um, and to kind of help us with um, the kind of carbon emissions. Um, so if you're looking at kind of like toilet paper, when you're in a toilet, looking for toilet paper, coal, uh, even notebooks, books. So the Harry Potter books all have little FSC signs on. So if you see that, you know that you're doing your bit to try and help kind of uh, help protect the forests of the world. Um, so a simple thing to your shopping um, can make a really big difference. That's really interesting because I'm always a bit wary because I, I feel like Almost every product that you see nowadays has some kind of tick or label on it saying, "Oh, look how good we are." And I'm never, I'm never quite sure. So that's that's good to know. Definitely going to keep more of an eye out for that. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a small change that people can make, and it does make a big difference. So, yeah, go and check out that little symbol, little little tree with a green tick, FSC, and see what you can see it. One thing, while we're on the subject of paper and deforestation, one thing that I found out the other day, which I found absolutely fascinating, was the guy who invented plastic bags did so because he was horrified at the amount of paper and the amount of trees that we were cutting down to form paper bags. Oh, my God. oh no. So oh. he created this plastic monster. bag, which because he... Well, they were always meant to be reusable. They were never meant to be kind like of single-use. Use yeah. it mm. once and then throw it away or whatever. The idea was this is a light sturdy durable bag so that we don't need to cut down a load of trees because they 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 use up barely energy and the energy a tiny bit of oil and then you've you've got a plastic bag they're they're really easy to manufacture a lot less intense than a paper bag and actually the manufacturing process there was a report that said that you'd have to use a paper bag at least three times for it to have the same environmental impact as in terms of sort of carbon dioxide emissions and things like that and ocean acidification as as a as a plastic bag so plastic bags in some ways are what, better yeah, for the environment than paper bags yeah, like but reuse hand, your bags that's yeah, basically reuse, the message yeah. Yeah. on the other hand you've got the fact that obviously the problem with the plastic is then if it does end up as it waste doesn't it's, yeah. it doesn't biodegrade it is polluting it is, you whereas know, at least like a paper fish bag gets stuck in it, whereas at least a paper bag does buy it. Absolutely. So, yes, you're absolutely right. The solution is use bags that you've already Recycle, got. reuse and reduce. But how many times do you go hours. to the shop and you're like, oh, I forgot my bag. I, I have so to... many bags yeah. at my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> build up. I've in your, like... I don't know, your coat pocket or your your handbag Sometimes or whatever your it might be. Sometimes your coat pockets just don't exist. They're just like not there. <laughs> and uh, then you start... Find somewhere or in, or in the boot of your car for if, you do, if you do drive. Which is bad for the environment. Which is bad for the environment as well, yeah. Not if you've got an electric car and a 
eco um as a student tariff. i have not got <laughs> no fair enough but anyway find somewhere where you can put the bag just so you take it i know you're absolutely right Alice. this reduce reuse recycle it gets repeated lots everyone's heard it everyone knows it but i think it is really important to just really important try to and try keep and that in your mind um, keep it in mind yeah right i've got one more question for you why is the work that you did so outreach and public engagement important especially when tackling global issues such as climate change biodiversity loss i think the role of like science communicators obviously we're all doing science communication as a kind of masters is um to try and and make it relatable to people like why should they care why should they care about these global issues how is it going to affect them kind of obviously there's a lot of stuff in the news at the moment about the flooding like that is something that people are it's happening to them and it's like that is happening because unfortunately global warming is playing a part of that kind of thing and it's making them realize that it it's bigger than kind of oh if that animal goes extinct in africa why why would joe blogs down the pub care about that kind of thing it's kind of making it into a more uh, into a narrative that they understand and can relate to i guess and i think that's our job as science communicators to make it relatable and to I guess instill that kind of interest in them it's not necessarily the same fit for each person you have to kind of change narrative yeah different like change it for different people because people have their own ideas people won't believe climate change is even an issue or won't believe that zoos are a good thing and you have to kind of like I guess you my job as like an outreach person is kind of figuring them out and being like right okay how can I try and get them to understand my point of view and even if they don't agree with it they're going away and thinking about it which is like that that made me if I if I knew that they were going to go away and think about it, whether they believed it right or wrong, then that I would believe that I've done my job right because they're thinking about it later on. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you for Thank inviting you. me on. Yeah. Don't go fun. anywhere because we're going to play a game now and this isn't our normal game of science facts or science fiction. I've changed it up slightly for this week. I've called this one higher or lower. I'm not sure if that's a particularly good name for it. Basically, I'm going to give you (laughs) a question and the answer will be a percentage. So between... And they're all between 1 and 100. So none of them are like 0.01% or anything like that. So you've got to guess a number between 1 and 100, basically. And we'll go higher or lower... Or or maybe we won't do that. We'll just say you all have to guess a number, and whoever's the closest wins we'll, that round. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, we'll yeah. it. So it's not it's not higher or lower at all. It's it's guess a number, P- which is guesser. the worst name of a game ever. But there we go. So they're all linking to kind of yeah. what we've been talking about already. So my first question is: What percentage of human-induced greenhouse gas emissions can we attribute? to effectively cows and other similar animals to them belching and farting it's got to be high it's got to be high surely uh, what oh, God, the, the like... proportion of all of the greenhouse gases that humans are responsible for what proportion is from cows um, burping god i'm gonna say somebody else go first and then yeah same <laughs> god joe 50 percent okay right it's less than 50 percent if I... you imagine all the cars all the airplanes all the yeah. burning okay. of the right, i'm gonna say five why did i say um i'm gonna go with what do you reckon right here we go this is, this is higher or low. more or less than five i think more than five but definitely less than 50 i maybe about 15 percent. Really? 15 okay 12 15 percent. see i thought everyone was gonna be like oh it's gotta be like one percent less than one percent surely but no okay well caris was pretty close actually it's 5.7 percent oh. so there we go which is still it's still you know, quite a one, lot over one twentieth 
of all of humanity's carbon emissions, carbon yeah. dioxide equivalent, is from cows burping. Like from that's, cows. That is a lot. That is a lot of cows. This is uh, from a report from the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. The report was called Tackling Climate Change Through Livestock. So if you don't believe me, go and have a look go at it. it and basically they calculated that livestock... The livestock sector, agriculture, is responsible for about 14.5% of human-induced greenhouse gas emissions. Other studies have found between 12 and 18%, depending on the methodology. So it seems to be that around that ballpark seems to be about right. And they then split that up into what that was actually caused by. So 45% is feed production and processing. So burning forests to have land, not for the animals necessarily, but mainly for the food Food to then feed to the animals. It's a very inefficient way of fueling yourself eating meat because they've got to eat plants to get energy and then you eat them and every... You know, each step you go down, you're getting less, less of the original energy. It's, yeah, yeah, it's not true. efficient. So 45% from feed production and processing, and then 39% from what they called enteric fermentation from ruminants, which is a great Basically science phrase that I didn't have a clue what it meant. But ruminants are animals with a rumen, which is the multi-chambered stomach. So you know the yeah. idea that cows yeah, yeah, have yeah, got, yeah. I know, four stomachs or whatever it is. They've got multi-chambered stomach. And the way that they digest in this rumen is by this process enteric fermentation which is bacteria breaking down the food and it releases methane a lot of methane which then the cows have to burp or fart out (laughs) and methane is an incredibly potent greenhouse gas is a lot more potent than co2 so that's that's why just us farming cows is that that on its own has quite a significant impact the rest of it so you've got 16 percent left out 10 percent from the decomposition of manure six percent from the processing and transportation so surprisingly little from the actual shipping the animals around yeah, um, yeah. or well not the animal the the meat i thought that was quite a lot but you, you i mean joe yeah. wildly overestimated. <laughs> okay next one what percentage of all the plastic ever made has ended up either in landfill or as pollution so not recycled or incinerated it is still clogging up space on our earth in the environment what percent of all plastic ever made it's sad but that it's got to be higher it's it's higher than the last one i'll give you that right quite a bit higher i think it's really high who's gonna go first do you want me to go first again (laughs) yeah go on joe all right i'll go with (laughs) 65 percent 65 percent okay that's more reasonable than your previous guess (laughs) i think it's higher than that i think i'm gonna say 85 85 percent I'm going to go with a little bit lower, but I do think it is higher than Joe, unfortunately. I think it's maybe like 60... What did you say? 65. <laughs> I was going to say 65. 65 again. Uh, I'll go, 70, I'll go 72. 72. <laughs> hang on. So you were 72 and you were... 85. Oh, it's almost straight in the middle of you. It's 79%. Oh, wow. God, that is a lot. That is a, that lot. Is a lot. So you were six points off. You were... Seven points. I'm good at this game. Can we play <laughs> this one every week? <laughs> 79% of plastic ever made end up either in landfill That's or really as pollution. Bad, uh, 12% has been incinerated and 9% has been recycled. This is from a 2017 article published in Science Advances, the Science Advances Journal. It looked from 1950 to 2015. So I haven't got data for the past four years, but it's still a reasonable estimate, I would say. The report is called, or the article is called, Production, Use and Fate of All Plastics Ever Made, if you want to look it up. Uh, this is what I thought with these, as the, as we're doing statistics, I would actually give people their sources for once. 
And then finally, the last one, what percent of animals and plants are threatened with extinction approximately according to the 2019 report by the intergovernmental science policy platform on biodiversity and ecosystem services so they released a report this year where they estimated that a certain percent of animal and plants are threatened with extinction this has got to be high as well what yeah. do you reckon god this is depressing though isn't it this is really so depressing. <laughs> yeah um i don't know i think I don't want it to be more than like fifty percent because that's just it's really horrible. Not more than fifty. Okay, good. It's less than fifty. I should also say as well, they don't know about insects. There was no good global data, so There's this doesn't really include insects. Yeah, but there have been specific local cases where we know insect rates are yeah, dropping course, off. So yeah. bees, for example, there's been quite a bit of research into In bees Manchester. because of their pollution because of their importance for uh, pollination. pollination. Yeah. I say I'll say thirty three percent third. I'm going to say 25 a quorum. I'm going to go with 20% on the side that that's the way I'd rather it be. It and be. then also the fact that there are obviously so many animals yeah. out yeah. there. Karis is absolutely spot on. 25%. In this one. They, the they estimated 25%. <laughs> we'll have to do this game again. We well, all sat right next to Fergus. I'm getting <laughs> yeah. suspicious. Can you see? <laughs> I, I genuinely <laughs> can. 25%. That is crazy. Yeah. So there was, a, there was quite an interesting BBC article about this because the report was only released a few months ago. So you can... Um, I remember seeing it and it kind of got shared on everyone's Facebooks and everyone was going, oh, that's terrible. And then and they kind of go. So I'm sorry, we've kind of we've we've run out of time now. I was hoping to end on a bit of a lighter note. And we've <laughs> about, so about, anyway, yeah, we were going to end on some diamonds, but we'll, we'll have to save that for another episode. Yeah, I yeah. think there's so much to, to talk carbon about with carbon. There's so many things that we could have talked about. That carbon we the sequel. We'll have carbon um, part two. But I think the the point, as you very well made, Alice and, and Joe as well, is that there are individual things we can be doing and it is important that we are thinking about this because yeah, you know I, I mean it is a cliche but there isn't any planet b i mean there's ideas that we can all go off fly off and terraform mars or something but that it would be a lot easier to just fix Pixar, what we're doing yeah. here before so anyway we we're going to talk about diamonds and how diamonds are for a form of carbon that's formed under great temperature and pressure so we're going to play as our, as our last song, Queen and David Bowie, Under Pressure. But I think this also works for what we've been talking about because, you know, there was that report that said we had, what, 12 years to fix climate change. That was two years ago now. We've got about about yes. 10 years left, yep. about till 2030. So we are all getting a little bit under pressure now. So not to ruin your Friday. But... <laughs> Literally everyone's going to have such a sad Friday night. But no, it's fine. Just go out, do a bit of recycling uh you know walk instead of using the bus and and feel good about feel yourself good. anyway we we have run out of time now i'm afraid uh, there's so much thank more you, to Alice. talk about thank you for coming on but, yeah. thank you for having me i hope um, you'll have me back at some point yeah okay well we we'll have you back on the carbon <laughs> carbon <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part two. i'll see yeah. you there carbon <laughs> part two love it next week we've got uh fluorine and chlorine fluorine yeah. and chlorine oh, oh that's exciting um and don't forget to like us on facebook and follow us on twitter yeah we're on yeah. twitter now as well anyway we've got to go have a lovely friday